You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. He is a faithful God. We've been in a series uh, these last several weeks in the book of 1 John, a series called For Sure. And so if you have a copy of God's Word with you, would you mind turning with me, please, uh, to 1 John? We're going to be in chapter 5 today. So 1 John chapter 5, if you'd make your way there. Let me give you a little context of what is happening. John is writing to some believers who are starting to get a little anxious. Uh, perhaps some doubts are starting to set in in the life of these faithful believers And so John writes this letter, and God is speaking to his people through this letter to assure them, to bring them confidence, to remind them where their security can be found. And so these believers were anxious, they were unsettled, they were tempted to doubt. What a perfect word for us today, for our country, for the world today. When we're tempted to doubt, what do we do? When we're unsettled, when we feel anxiety, what is it that we are to do? So 1 John chapter 5, let's begin in verse 9 together this morning. And again, I hope you'll have your copy of God's Word open or on your phone or your, your actual um, leather-bound copy of God's Word. Let's see what Scripture says to us today. Let's see what God says to us today. 1 John beginning in uh, chapter 5, beginning in verse 9. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe in God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the son of God has come. And has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Let's look at this passage together. And hopefully today stand on some truths. Learn some truths from this this passage that we can stand on together this week. Here's the first thing. If you're taking notes, you want to consider this with me. Since Jesus and his gospel are true, based on God's testimony, we can live in confidence. Because Jesus and his gospel are true, based on God's testimony, we can live in confidence. In the first three verses of this passage, verse 9, verse 10, verse 11, we see five different times this mention of the testimony of God. In verse 9, we see the testimony of God 
is greater. In verse 10, we see whoever believes in the Son of God has that testimony of God in him. Whoever does not believe that has made God out to be a liar because he has not believed in this testimony of God. And this is the testimony that God gave us in verse 11, eternal life and life that is found in his son. Five times was he referenced this, this consideration of believing in the testimony of God. John starts off there in verse nine by saying, we receive the testimony of people all the time. We believe what other people tell us. Now, here's what God is saying to us. We receive the testimony of others all the time, but here's what the testimony of God says to his people. So if you trust others, you trust your family, you trust your friend, you trust your doctor, you trust your mechanic, you trust your lawyer, you trust your pastor, then you'd also need to make sure you are trusting in the author of your salvation. Trust in the one who has created everything that we see and everything that we do not see. This is the testimony of God. Believe God's testimony of his son, Jesus. And all throughout the scripture, we see God testifying about his own son. All the way back in Genesis chapter three, verse 15, God begins this testimony of his son by saying, one day, one will come. Speaking of his son, Jesus Christ, who will crush the head of the enemy. In a very real way, a very audible way, a very tangible way, we hear the testimony of God in the baptism of Jesus. Here's God's testimony about his own son. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. God gives a testimony all throughout scripture, all throughout creation itself, that he has a son he will send who will save people from their sins. What is the ultimate expression of the testimony of God? It's the resurrection of the son, Jesus Christ. You know how your bank account works. When deposits come in, sometimes those deposits are pending and sometimes those deposits are clear. There's a very specific difference between the two. In fact, a very important difference between the two, between pending and cleared. Pending means you claim to have money in there. Cleared means that money is actually there. Pending is saying, I, I, I believe that money will be there soon. That means that there is money in the balance. It is coming, but it's pending at this time. But once that transaction is cleared through, that deposit is there in your account, then it is cleared. Very important distinction between the two. In fact, sometimes we all have great anxiety when our deposit is just pending, but it is not yet cleared. And we can go to HEB and swipe our card thinking that the deposit has been cleared, but it's still just pending. We claim to have the money, but the money is not there. So we swipe that card at, at HEB and the card reader says to us, insufficient funds. And you feel the anxiety building. You turn, there's a senior adult lady behind you and she's glaring at you with the evil eye because she's ready to go. And behind her is the homeschool mom with nine kids and she's mouthing some words to you that you don't think a homeschool mom should even know. And you feel this great anxiety because you thought the deposit had cleared, but it's just pending. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, it cleared. The deposit on our salvation cleared. Before then, for those three days, that deposit, it was pending and it caused great anxiety, perhaps in the lives of the disciples. They were wondering what, what we put our faith in. Is it truly real? Is Jesus just a liar? Is this just all something made up? Until the day of the resurrection, the deposit put down on the payment of our sins, it cleared. This is the testimony of God about his son, Jesus Christ. We have a faith, Christian, not just some ritualistic mythology, 
We have a faith based on accurate historical accounts. This is God's testimony about his son, Jesus Christ. Because this is God's testimony to you, you can live in confidence this week. Here's the second thing I want us to see from our pastors this morning. God is confirming eternal life today. And he will tomorrow, and he will again tomorrow, and he will again for all of our tomorrows, for those who are in Christ. We have a nation, and perhaps you feel this way also, that has thought more about life and death and eternity in the past 10 days than they probably have in the past 10 years. People wondering about life, death, eternity, what does this all mean? Scripture speaks to those who might be lacking in confidence of having eternal life, of knowing for sure that we belong to Christ and that we will live forever. And the three verses that we're about to look at together, verse 11, verse 12, and verse 13, I would submit to you are the most important three verses in the book of 1 John, perhaps the most important three verses in all the New Testament, and I'll even go out on a limb to say perhaps the three most important verses in all of Scripture, especially in light of what we're going through as a nation, as world citizens today. Verse 11 of chapter five. And this is the testimony that God gives us. Excuse me, this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in his son. And whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe. Those who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Please listen to these next few sentences. If you're tempted to get up and get a snack at about this time in the sermon, can I encourage you to sit back down and please listen so carefully to verse 11, verse 12, and verse 13. If you have put your trust in the resurrected Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins and he is your Lord, you are saved for eternity. However, if you have put your trust in church membership only, or in good works only, or in being a citizen of America only, or being a registered Republican and Democrat only, or you have put your trust and your hope in your sweet family and your grandmother's godliness, you are not saved. And you do not have eternal life. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Put your faith in Christ today. If you do not know Jesus, you have put your faith in anything else and everything else but Christ. Turn to Christ today and find eternal life. But if you have believed in the resurrected Christ and you have turned from your old life and you call him the Lord of your life, you are saved and you can have that confidence today, tomorrow, and all of your tomorrows. Let me give you three truths this morning that Christians can hold on to from this passage and we can hold on to together this week. Three truths that Christians can hold on to. Here's the first thing I want you to see in this passage. God hears and answers his daughters and his sons. God hears and he answers his daughters and his sons. Look at verse 14 with me, please. And this is the confidence. This is the, the security. This is what we know for sure. This is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. This is good news. 
that we can have confidence today, this moment, this evening, as you put your head on the pillow, tomorrow morning when the alarm goes off, you can have this confidence, oh Christian, that God hears his daughters and his sons, and not just hears them, he answers his daughters and his sons. It's been a few years since we had little kids in our house, but I recall many a time that my kids would ask me the same thing over and over again, suddenly to the point that I was no longer actually listening to them. They would keep on talking and I would stop the listening. They would ask for for candy 10 times in a row, 10 times in a row to the point where eventually I just kind of tuned them out for a while until one of my kids, and I won't name which kid it is, but it was my daughter. She would say to me, dad, are you even listening to me? And I would say, oh yeah, I hear you which means audibly I'm registering that you're saying some words, but I'm not responding anymore to your demand for for candy. This is not how God operates. God is a perfect father. I'm a flawed father. Look what it says here in in this passage. It says here that if we, we have this confidence in verse 14, if we ask anything according to his will, that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the request already. As we come to him and ask things according to his will, he is already answering us. He is already saying yes to us as we give him these requests. When God hears us, he's not saying that he just hears us, but he answers us also. This is all over the Bible. This is the inheritance of daughters and sons of God, that we have a father who hears us and who answers us. Psalm chapter four, verse three says, the Lord hears when I call to him. What confidence. Psalm 18, verse six says, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. He heard my voice. My cry reached his ears. What confidence. Psalm 34, verse four says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all of my fears. What confidence. This is our inheritance as daughters and sons of God, that God hears us as his adopted sons, as his adopted daughters. Since this is true, why do we not consistently and with great confidence come into his presence time and time and time again, even today, even this evening, even this week, and take advantage of this inheritance that is ours as daughters and sons of God? Not only does God hear us, he has the ability to answer us. Not only in his kindness does he bid us to come, but in his sovereignty, in his power, he is so capable, he is able to answer these requests that we lay before him. Now notice, please, in verse 14, that we don't just ask for anything and God answers automatically. Instead, it says here that we ask anything according to his will. This is the revealed will of God. And so as you're praying, you can always be confident that you are praying the revealed will of God by praying his word. His word is his will. His will is his word. And so as you're going through scripture this week, look for the promises of God. Look for the directions of God. Look for the the commands of God. Look for the words of God over and over again and pray those things that we know to already be revealed as the will of God. If you want to take your prayer level this week to a higher level, I would imagine many in America, they have increased their prayer level tremendously this past week and a half. Pray God's word. Because when you pray God's word, you're praying God's will. And the word says here, when we pray God's will, he will give whatever we request of him. What a good father. 
And this is the confidence we have as daughters and son. Now, verse 16 and verse 17 are probably some of the most difficult verses in First John, maybe most of the New Testament to fully understand. I have personally in my own life simplified verse 16 and verse 17. And there's a lot of people who've applied this and who've translated this or interpreted this differently uh, throughout church history. But there's a lot of people who believe the same thing that I'm about to give to you. But look at verse 16 and verse 17 because it almost sounds like a riddle and it's very difficult to understand if the Holy Spirit wasn't our teacher. So let's see what verse 16 and verse 17 says. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. Pray for that situation or even pray for that person is what John is saying. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to to death. And so let's just take a few moments and try to understand this kind of difficult passage together. Again, I interpret it pretty simply. Here's the first thing. We see this in the first part of verse 16. There are Christians who fall back and commit sin. That's singular in the Greek, not plural sins, but a sin. And we should pray for them. We should pray that God says, I'll answer that prayer. If you pray for a believer in Christ who has fallen back and they are committing a sin, we should pray for them. It says that God will bring them to a place of life. I believe that's a place of, of repentance. And so here's the first thing. If you have a brother or a sister in Christ and they have fallen back and they are sinning, pray for them. God commits to hear that prayer and to bring them back to a place of life. Verse 17 reminds us that there is a sin that, that does not, there is not a sin that leads to death for a Christian. So once someone is in Christ Jesus, they are forever in Christ Jesus. If a Christian sins, that does not separate them from, from God. It might hurt the fellowship, but, but does not break the relationship. Then verse 16, the second part is the part that's so confusing, perhaps to, to a lot of people. It's confusing to read on the onset that there is a sin, however, that leads to death. And if someone is committing that sin, we should not pray for that. Or we should not pray for them. You know, death is the ultimate point of no return. Bible says that once we die, we have one day appointed to us to die and then we are judged. Then we stand before God. So death is the ultimate point of no return for non-Christians. So once a non-believer has died, that sin has led them into death, there is no praying them out of the separation they have with God. Three things really quickly, here it is. Pray for non-Christians who are, pray for Christians who are sinning. Number two, we see in this pray for non-Christians to turn to Jesus. But once someone has died and they were not in Christ, they have already passed the line of no return and there's no use, John is saying, in praying for them. Here's the second thing that Christians can hold on to together during this time. A second truth to hold on to is simply this. God is in the process of transforming us. We can hold on to this truth. God, even today, even this week, he is in the act of transforming us. He is changing us, creating us to look more and more like Christ. Look at verse 18. This is a pretty heavy verse also. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. In other words, they're not committed to sin. But he who is born of God, speaking of Jesus, protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. Verse 19, we know that we are from God. And the whole world just lies in the power of the evil one. 
we know this, and I bet you have sensed this the last 10 days, we live, Christian, in the middle of a spiritual battle. And there are three things that are set up against us as believers in Christ. There is a trifecta of spiritual opposition that all of you as followers in Christ that you're experiencing maybe even more so these last few days. And here is what it is. It's a spiritual conspiracy of three things designed to to draw us away from Jesus, designed to, to tempt us to disobey the Lord. The first is a very real enemy named Satan. In fact, John calls him here in verse 18 in your Bible, the evil one. The second thing that John has talked about earlier is, is the world. That's all the systems of our world that are built up in rebellion against God. And the third thing John talks about earlier also in this book of the flesh, that's the things inside of us that desire to rebel against God, the things inside of us that desire to disobey the Lord. But God gives believers in Christ great hope in these verses. In verse 18, it says that we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, or again, they're not committed to sin. Now, John is repeating a truth that he has said several times all throughout the book of 1 John. In fact, he's telling us over and over again that it's not that Christians do not sin. In fact, chapter 1, verse 8 says that if we say that we don't have any sin, that we're a liar. So it's not a statement that we no longer sin, but we're no longer committed to sin. Uh, We're not perfect, and so this is not a a holy perfection, but it is a holy direction. That we're moving closer and closer to taking on the character of Christ more and more every day. That we're being transformed into his, his image. See, a Christian born again by faith in Jesus Christ has this in complete profound transformation. We now have a transformed heart that leads to a transformed life. But often that's a slow progress. As day by day, we're being transformed more and more to the image of Christ and more and more to the character of God. Verse 18 is a good word for us in the very middle of that passage. It says, but he who was born of God, speaking of Jesus, protects him or protects you, follower of Christ. And the evil one cannot touch us. Please hear this. In the middle of a crisis that's happening in our nation, maybe a sense of anxiety or fear happening in your heart today, Satan cannot touch a child of God. You are protected by Jesus. You're being shielded by Christ himself. And that word touch right there literally means he cannot even approach to get near you to touch you. You are protected by the son of God himself. Verse 19 says, it kind of reinforces to us that the world is being controlled by the enemy. But those who are born of God, those who are part of the family of God, the children of God, we are being transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ as we are held in protection and love and a shielding by the hand of Christ. Here's the third and last thing I have for you. What truth can we hold on to as followers of Jesus? The third thing we see is that we can have a real relationship with a real God. A real relationship with a real God. Look at, look at verse 20 with me again, the last two verses here. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him, may know God who is true, and we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. The third thing I want you to see is that we can have a real relationship with a real God. 
God is not playing hide and seek with us this week. He is not out in the far distance, some true God that we cannot know, that we cannot experience, that we cannot have a relationship with. Quite the opposite. And this is what John is saying right here. God does not delight in us being confused. God does not delight in us thinking that we might feel distant from him. In fact, just the opposite. God desires for us not just to know about him, but to know him. To live in this real, thrilling, dynamic relationship with God, a relationship based on love, communicating daily with the living God of the universe. I love verse 21. I said this to you six weeks ago. John ends this letter in such a stark word. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Let me apply that to 2020, to March of 2020. Why would you bow down to the idol of fear? when you can bow down to the God of the universe. Let's keep our hearts free this week from idols. What are idols? Anything that we love, respect, or obey more than God. This week, let us not bow down to the idol of fear. Let us bow down as daughters and sons of God before a God who is real and who can really be known. What a thrill to know this God through the Son, Jesus Christ. The true Christian life is a love relationship with God through Jesus. It is a life of love for others. The true Christian life, not religiosity, not just going through the motions, but the true Christian life, the essence of the true Christian life is a love relationship with God that we can have through the Son, Jesus, but also translates that you and I learn to love well, others.